welcome back to season three of the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Blackwood. As many of you know, I wrote my autobiography as a survivor of human trafficking called Custom Justice. But if you didn't know, you do now. Keeping in line with that, this entire season has been focused on interviewing people who did or plan to write about their own experiences as trauma survivors and how they overcame their past. As much as we all hate commercials, they are a necessary evil these days. That's what keeps this show on the air. You can also show support by purchasing one of my books or donating through PayPal. You can find the links to either option in the podcast description. As always, a portion of the proceeds do go to local organizations that help fight human trafficking. Welcome back to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Amanda Blackwood. I am, of course, as always, your host. Uh, today, I have a wonderful lady with me today who has done some incredible work um, out of the goodness of her heart. Her name is Lee Lincoln. Uh, she is, of course, as everyone is, um, an author, and she's written a very valuable book that I think so many people can really identify with. I know I certainly can. I've been right there on the verge and I've been in that moment myself. But what Lee has done is she has taken her time to work with the homeless people. She's worked in soup kitchens and homeless shelters. She's worked with women and children. She's offered uh, support and housing and basic needs and all kinds of really just amazing stuff. And she understands the plight of the homeless people from having done this work in a way that a lot of people can't really identify. Uh, so welcome to the show, Lee. I am super excited to get to know you and to have you with us today. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> so Lee, where did you grow up? Where are you from originally? I'm originally from Montana, but I've lived all over the country. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, me too. Did you have like a military family? Uh, no, just, yeah, just, we just moved a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I've known many people like that. So what yeah. made you want to get into working with homeless people? Well, um, as a woman of faith, I just uh, honestly believe that we are called to help the least of these. And so it just became a passion. And um, especially when I moved to places like Baltimore, where um, there are so many homeless it just, the more I, I got involved, the more I felt I needed to get involved and it just kind of snowballed. And so, um, yeah, wow. every time I moved somewhere, I just connected with, with uh, a soup kitchen, with a homeless shelter and, and just dove in head first. And it just became my life's work. And most of it was volunteer. Some of it was was paid, but most of it was volunteer just because I just believe so wholeheartedly that this is something everyone should be doing. And a lot of people looked at me like I was nuts. And, <laughs> and that was okay, because these are people that most people just want to ignore. And it just got me so frustrated that most people just want to ignore the homeless, the poor, the, the forgotten. And some of these people are veterans. Some of these people have just gotten out of prison. Some of these are single mothers that are trying to raise children while living in a car. And it just, 
it just was too much. And I was just like, why are we not dealing with these people rationally, reasonably, calmly, and not having arguments over about who should pay for this? And so, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and a lot of people don't know that I spent a little bit of my time as a 19 year old, uh, completely homeless and on the streets after uh, realizing that I didn't have family that cared about me and I had no education, no safe place to go. How often is it that you come across homeless people who have that kind of a story? They just, they just ran out of options. Right. And, and see, and that's the thing a lot of people don't understand about homeless. And that's one of the reasons why I ran, wanted to write this book um, in 2016. It's because so many people don't understand what homeless is. They think it's the drunk bum on the corner. And that's just a small tip of the iceberg. There are so many people that are couch surfing from, you know, their friends. And they're, they're technically homeless, but some nights they have a place to stay and some nights they're you know sleeping in a car or or you know in the back of an alley because because they are on kind of the edge and some of these people have jobs so especially right now with the economy being what it is which is really bad you know some of these people have jobs and so yes this is prevalent where people have just run out of options. Sometimes it's a matter of they had a medical issue and now have all this debt that they cannot pay. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just, there are so many reasons why people end up homeless and it's oftentimes not the reason you would think, which was one of my big frustrations when I was out there working is, is people so often blame the homeless for their situation, and that's often not the case. They they don't have that safety net of family, neighbors, friends who can help them before they fall through the big giant cracks in our society and end up out on the streets. And it just would frustrate me to no end that, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, just no. <laughs> and well, I and say right now with the economy, with coronavirus, there are so many people that are having to ask for help for the first time in their lives ever. People that always thought they were in the middle class have now discovered, hey, we're not. We are two steps away from being homeless. And right. it, is, it, is a, it is a huge reality for so many people that they are having to ask for rental assistance, for, for um, assistance, for getting their car fixed, for food for, the, for their families. Because everything has just just gotten crazy right now, and it it is it is turning into everyone's reality at this point. Yes, and it's becoming more and more common everywhere you look. I mean, you touched on it a little bit. Um, some people are just a single paycheck away from losing their home or their apartment or their car, uh, and when they get that far down the road. There is a sense of, I know this from personal experience, there's a sense of desperation where we start looking around and going, what can I do? What have I not sold yet? What do I have left of any value that somebody might want so that I can afford one more meal for my cats or one more meal for my, my in some cases, children? Uh, in these really desperate situations, why is it, do you think, that we 
associate drug or alcohol um, disorders with the homeless population um, and, and not what it is that you're specifically talking about with the actual economy and with having fallen on hard times and medical bills. Did you know, by the way, just a little side tangent, that a rape kit uh, is charged to the um, to the victim and in the tune of a little over $900 in most states? Yeah, I, I was aware of that. And it's insane. The kind of medical bills that people have to pay for uh, just to be able to stay alive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's because for, for a lot of people, the only homeless people they see are the mentally ill and the drunk on the corner because other homeless people try to hide um, really well. Um, so I think that's why a lot of people, that's what they associate homelessness with is because those are the ones that are obvious. Right. You know, especially like single mothers in particular will try to hide because in most states, if a single mother self-reports as homeless, odds are she will lose her children. Right. In spite of everything that they're doing to try and keep their kids healthy and safe. Right. Right. If she, yeah. So, so a lot of them are totally hidden and you won't see them, um, which that unto itself is completely wrong that we have set them up for an additional failure in the fact that if they ask for help, they will lose their children. What is right. wrong with us? So, yeah. So I, I think that is a large part of the problem is that we make it hard for certain, certain people to ask for help because we actually make their situation worse rather than better. Yeah. And that, that is wrong. So I, I think that, and part of it is because we don't want to admit that, that we ourselves could end up homeless. And I think that also is a mental block that, you know, it's easier for us to say, oh, it's, it's somebody else, it'll never be me. And if we admit that homelessness could happen to us, then that's a whole nother issue. You understand what I'm saying? It's much oh, easier to think it's someone else out there and that'll never affect me. So, right. As long as it's not me, it's not my problem. Exactly. And if we try to identify people that are similar to me, that are homeless, that gets too close to home and I don't want to deal with it anymore. Yep. So, and I, I've heard people say that too. Well, you know, people like me just can't be homeless. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I had another I guest on my podcast. wrong on that one. <laughs> I've literally seen doctors that are homeless because they have so much debt from medical school. So, yeah. hey, literally anyone can be homeless. I, I, I've heard all kinds of craziness out there. So, yeah. And, and again, this is why I wrote the book, Road Home, because I really wanted to shine a light on there are a million reasons to be homeless. There there are a million reasons to get out of homelessness and we need to start showing a lot more compassion to our neighbors, to our brothers, to our sisters, to our friends. 
and we need to stop looking down on each other. Um, so, but th this is, this is, I I've been, I've been saying this for years, kind of getting nowhere, just beating my head against a wall. So, <laughs> but how do you think we can start to help other people to reframe the way that they think at homelessness? Um, would it help to be able to talk more to the people that are currently in hiding and having them come forward a bit more? I, I think so. And that's, that's one of the things that I'm big on is hiding creates shame and fear. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking homelessness or we're talking abuse or we're talking pretty much anything. Hiding creates shame and fear. And we're never going to address problems if they're in the shadows. It's that simple. If you ignore it, it gets bigger. Yes. And I'm not the only one who kind of understands that. And again, it, all problems are like that. You ignore them, they get bigger. So, and I think that is part of the reason why poverty has increased in America is because we've ignored it, tried to pretend it doesn't exist, thrown a little money at it and hope it will just disappear. And that isn't what's going to fix the problem. Throwing money at problems doesn't fix them. So, you know, money is not the end-all be-all, especially when it comes to poverty issues. Money isn't going to fix it. We need to give them a hand up, not a hand out. We need to yes. teach people how to move forward, how to help each other, and, you know... But again, I'm one of these crazy idiots that everybody's kind of like, <laughs> a lot of people say I'm, I'm kind of out there on, on left field. And, um, but I, I think, you know, there are a lot of creative solutions out there that we're just not using. And, but again, most people just think I'm a crazy idiot, but we're all good. <laughs> I don't think that at all. I think what you're doing is brave. Um, I think it's actually one of the uh, only ways to be able to help people out of that kind of a situation. Like I said, I was there. Nobody helped me. I had to fight tooth and nail to be able to get out that I was in. Uh, I, it got to the point where I was working three jobs every week and in some cases every day. Um, it, it took a lot of hard work. I didn't have any kids to watch over at the time, which was a huge help. Um, uh, my son wasn't born yet. I, when I had my son, um, I ended up again, homeless for a while and he stayed with his father and then his father disappeared with him. I was one of those people that had my child taken away from me, albeit illegally, but he was taken away from me and I had not seen him in many, many years. I mean, a lot of people look at homelessness as, like you were saying, the, the drunken person or the person that's doing drugs on the street corner, but that's not the majority of what homelessness actually encompasses. Right. And like I say, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There is yeah. just so many other things. And, and I think a lot of people just, just don't quite understand it. And, yeah. and, 
I know, but it's I hard like to taste. understand something like that unless you experience it yourself. And it, that's one of the reasons that I love your book. I mean, let's let's talk a little bit about your book. How did all of this experience help to kind of shape your experience with writing this book? Well, I I, I, I kind of wrote this book by accident. Um, I just, I, I, as I like to tell people, I was getting middle age and just getting cranky because no one was listening to me. I didn't have the right experience. I didn't have the right education. I was a woman. And so I just started just pouring my heart out on page one day. And, and then it just kind of was another day and another day. And then three months later, I had well, what turned into a book. So <laughs> here we go. So yeah, I, it was, I was never going to write more than another book, but now I'm four books in and I'm writing a fifth, but that's a whole nother issue. Uh, but I just, I just felt I just needed to get out my feelings about, about what was going on and what I was seeing and, and what I thought other people weren't. And so then when it was, what I had looked like it could turn into a book, I decided to publish it, um, Road Home. And it's written in first person from the perspective of a homeless woman. She's very snarky. She's very rude. She's rather mean. Um, and she just, she just is at the end of her rope. She's just ready to commit suicide. And she finally shares her story, which is the whole purpose of the book. And I published it in the hopes that a few people would buy it and I'd raise some money for charity. Um, but it kind of took off and a lot of people just kind of was like, oh my gosh, how many years have you been homeless that you were able to write this? Well, okay, I've never been homeless. At that point, I'd been working with the homeless for almost 30 years. So I was like, well, yeah, no, <laughs> this is why I could write this book because I understand the mentality involved in being homeless. Um, so uh, yeah, so that that is this this whole encompass of this book is, is trying to get people to truly understand the mentality involved in this woman who had been abused by both her father by her husband and just literally thrown herself out there because she just didn't know where else to go and what else to do. And so that is the book, um, right. my first book. And it, it is quite an eye opener for a lot of people. And a lot of people have said, wow, I just really didn't think about anything uh, this way until I read your book. And I'm like, that was the purpose and I'm I'm glad you kind of get it and then other people are like they're like I I still don't quite agree with you that this is truly homelessness and I'm like then go sit down and have lunch with a homeless person right. and then, yeah so what do you think would uh, help a homeless person who's go or a former homeless person who is going through or has gone through um, all of this stuff that ends up in these desperate situations? I think the biggest thing is taking the time to listen to them, hear their story, know where they're coming from, because then you will understand what they need. Because not every homeless person needs the same thing. We try to lump them all into a box, and that is the wrong thing to do. Some of them, yes, they need to be put into a shelter. Some of them, that is the worst place for them because that will create more trauma for their situation. So we need to sit down with them. We need to have a conversation. We need to get them to trust us. 
and then we need to figure out what is best for their situation. But most people are not willing to sit down, take the time to really listen, to really gain trust, and to really figure out what is best for their situation. And again, no two situations are the same. No people, two people are the same. Right. And that is the hardest part to do. And a lot of people are like, they're dirty, they smell. Well, yeah, they haven't had a shower in a month. <laughs> That's going to happen. You're going to build up a little smell. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And and for me, that was never that was never a deal breaker. I would sit down with anybody, give them a sandwich, get them to trust me, get them to, you know, get them to open up just a little bit. And if it took a month, that was okay. I wanted to know what their story was, where they were coming from, what was the best thing for them, because not, not everyone needed the same thing. Some of them, the shelter was the absolute worst place to go. Yeah. Some of them, it was the best place to go, but it would take a lot of convincing to get them in there. Yeah. And everyone had a different need, different priorities. And that, and we need to treat people as individuals because everyone is. Yeah. What a, what a novel concept, treating people like people, you know, yeah. it just seems to be that that is not quite so common anymore. And that just, it's heartbreaking uh, to recognize that as being one of our big issues right now, you know, yeah. I, as well as having the age of the internet and, you know, Steve Jobs once said that the internet would not be a household thing. Um, he couldn't see it ever being something that people would use regularly because we were already what was his quote in an age of information overload no matter how much information the web can dish out most people get far more information than they can assimilate anyway but this has actually turned out to be completely incorrect as as brilliant as he was people are going to the internet for everything and that includes all the false information and the substantiated uh, false accusations against the homeless people and ag against people who are, have fallen on hard times. Uh, it's also given them this sense of face of of uh, faceless bravery, where they can do and say whatever they want without having to face any kind of consequences because nobody can punch them in the face through the computer. <laughs> yeah, and and we've lost the ability to connect one-on-one -on -one, uh, and have viable communication um, and, and be able to just have a conversation anymore. Um, you know, everything is sound bites and tweets. Yeah. And, and so many kids, they, they, they cannot communicate anymore if it's not in these tiny little bits of information. They're so connected to their phones. And it's just really hard anymore because that's, that's their whole world is their little phones and their tweets and their Instagrams and their little Facebook posts. And it's, we've, we've lost the ability to truly communicate on a deep personal level. Yep. And I know many adults have fallen into that also. Yeah. 
So what's one thing that you wish you could tell someone who's currently experiencing homelessness? Um, what would you offer to them if, if you had the ability? That someone cares, someone loves them, someone wants the best for them. Because sometimes that's all that they need to hear is that there is someone that is willing to have their back no matter what. Because some of them, that's all it, all it takes is knowing that there is a safety net there for them. That yeah. someone truly cares for them. Because that's how they ended up homeless is because no one had their back. No one was caring for them. No one cared where they ended up. Right. That has been the case for so many people that I've known other trauma survivors and stuff. Yeah. It's, yeah. So I understand that you have a part of your book that you would like to read for the audience. Yeah, I'm going to read a, a little bit that's towards the kind of middle part um, where uh, Cindy's kind of figuring out um, things are harder for her than she thought. So, um, okay. and I will read a little bit. The ugliest truth must come out before this went any farther. It was time to tell him at least that much. He already knew more than I'd ever intended to share anyways, but I wasn't sure that I was ready to tell anyone what I'd done. I wasn't ready for the final rejection from Robert that I was so sure would come. What other response could there be when he knew the truth about who exactly he had in his car? He should never have asked me to tell him stories. He should have known better than to think anyone, anything a homeless person had done was important or even worth knowing more about. Better yet, I should have fallen asleep or at least pretended to, like I usually do when I get in someone's car, not said a word all these miles upon miles, taken the easy path, not the hard one. When do you ever take the easy road, Cindy? Never, not even once in your miserable life. Because my father told me so, I said, while it was a truth, something was still holding me back from telling the whole truth. No, there was much more to, there was much more behind why I felt that I was good for nothing. For some reason, I wasn't ready to be alone again, not ready to be out on my own again. Robert was beginning to feel like a friend, and I felt like I needed him, even though the friendship wasn't real. It was based on two giant lies, his false, his false faith and my deception of who I was, or maybe there was solely the one, my deception. He always said I was worthless, and I know he was right. I blew out my breath with a huff. I know you've been told so many untruths over the years. I could sense it from the minute I met you, but that's the biggest one of all. Robert reached over and took my hand again, and this time I felt a jolt of electricity pass between us. Snatching my hand free before the sensation could become more intense, I cringed in pain, not from the touch, but from the thought that it might be true and I was worth something to someone. I looked over at him, reading ready to lash into him for his statement, but I saw the tears streaming down his face. The front of his pale blue t-shirt was so wet from tears, it was dark blue in large patches. In a flash, his face looked old from worry lines now itched into it. Misery seeped from every pore of his body and all because of me. 
I thought that would be appropriate because it shows that Robert, the, the, the man who's trying to help Cindy, the homeless woman, um, was trying to get him, her to trust him and share what she really needed by sharing her story, which is what I try to do with homeless people. So, which is the whole point of the book is him trying to get her to trust him. So. I hear all that jolt of electricity. That's a, that's a scary moment for somebody who's in, in need um, for anything, even if it's just human connection or kindness that's that's scary to know that there's somebody out there who actually does care wait you're not supposed to care nobody cares about me i'm supposed to be able to just fade her off into the background here and never be seen again right right and and so that that's why i felt this little section was was a good one to share because that that's kind of the moment where she realizes he's crying because of 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 what she shared and because he truly cares and those are the moments that I really looked for when I was working with the homeless is those moments when, when they kind of could feel that, that spark of trust between us was, was finally starting to build. Those are the moments I looked for because that is the moment where I could, could finally tell I was reaching them and they might be able to move towards something that, other than homelessness. And this is... This is what I tried to show in the book. That's beautiful. Thank you. I love what you've done. I love your journey. I love that you're out there specifically trying to help people. And and you're so passionate about it. I can feel that all the way through the phone here. I can feel that passion. And I really hope, I mean, I... I really hope it kind of ignites a flame here and it starts to kind of spread a bit and we get more people that might be willing to do the work to be able to go out there and to help people who need it the most. I think you could really do a lot to help change this world. I, that's what I'm hoping because I, I am a one woman show and more people need to, to help their neighbors, help their friends, help their brothers and sisters, help, anyone that they meet um, because we need to reach people before they slide into homelessness. And there, there are ways, um, but we need to be aware of what's going on in our neighborhoods, in our homes, um, with our families. We need to be aware before things get out of control. Yeah. And unfortunately, we are often wrapped up in our own lives and don't notice anything other than what is going on in our own personal little bubbles? There's always one last question that I ask my guests before I let them go. And I feel like I could probably talk to you all day long about this, but I also know that the listeners have a short attention span. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to ask my one last question and you can take a moment to think about it if you need to. Often that does happen. But can you name at least one thing that you absolutely love about yourself that's not based on your physical appearance? I love the fact that I'm a really good listener. I can get almost anyone to open up and share their story with me. That's cool. That's a very special gift. That's awesome. Lee, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. 
Uh, it's been an absolute delight. And I know you have several books, so I may be reaching out to you to have you on the show again sometime soon, if that's all right, because I think you're pretty cool. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> all right. And thank I, you so much for being here. It was here. an honor to be on your show. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed tonight's episode, please make sure you check out the episode description. You're going to find links there on how you can learn more about this guest, links to connect with them on social media, and how to support this podcast. Remember, I don't get paid to do this. My boss is a bit tight-fisted, but I can say that. I work for myself. In short, this show really is all about the guest. If you've enjoyed this interview, please feel free to let them know. Thank you.